This week, the Down and Nerdy Podcast is brought to you by Claritin D. And shout out to the folks at Claritin who not just sponsored the show, but also provided some samples as well. Tis the season to breathe pollen. Yeah, I've been spending a lot more time outside. Yeah, I can tell those allergies are definitely acting up. I feel stuffy. I feel sluggish. The eyes are starting to water a little bit more. That's why I'm turning to Claritin D. Look, it's definitely helped me relieve my symptoms. It seems to work really, really fast for me as well. It's designed for serious allergy sufferers. Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongestion in your nose so you can breathe better. And hey, I'm noticing a lot of that right now. As a matter of fact, I'm looking forward to be able to enjoy much more outdoor time this spring and summer. A lot of that has to do with Claritin D. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom. It's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. We're back, witches. It's episode 372 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham, and I've been looking forward to season two of Motherland Fort Salem for a it seems like over a year now, right? Since we've had any new Motherland Fort Salem episodes, but they're coming back on June the 22nd. And I got to tell you, I have got an all-star list of guests to talk about it this week. Amalia Holm joins the show once again. Also, Demetri McKinney and Lynn Renee will join her to tease what's going to be coming up on season two of Motherland Fort Salem on Freeform. Also, Going to be talking more Sweet Tooth with Aliza Villani. She plays Ronnie Singh on the show, so it'll be nice to get the other perspective of what's going on with Sweet Tooth. Maybe a few spoilers mixed in. Also, Milestone Comics are back. Going to be talking about Static this week in my review. Also, another DC review of a new Supergirl story that's coming up. Also, if you haven't watched Luca yet on Disney+, Plus, I'll give you my review of that. There's just a ton of stuff to get to on the show this week, but we're going to start out with Motherland Fort Sale. I'm going to be talking to a trio of witches up next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Summer Bischel from The Magicians, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. A new thread has emerged and also a new season of Motherland Fort Salem, which is going to be starting June the 22nd, which is a Tuesday on Freeform. And I was lucky enough to be able to talk to the amazing Amalia Holm, Demetria McKinney, and Lynn Renee about this upcoming season. So here's that conversation. 
Demetra, Lynn, Amalia, how is everybody doing? Awesome. They're doing great. Yes. Getting ready for season two. Really looking forward to it. Actually, there's a lot of a lot to unpack after the way last season ended. So in the immediate fallout of the of the attack and Amalia, for you, everything that happened with, with returning to the spree. So just reset for us a little bit. Where are your characters as we're heading into season two? Well, my character was just surprisingly rescued from death, a, you know, designated death by Anacostia. Um, so she helped Scylla escape and Scylla got back to this free house, realizing her boss is her supposed mother-in-law. And so she's probably, she's left in a shock, but also has just gotten her life back. And we'll have to see how that unfolds and how to make that meaningful now that she's got a second chance. And if that maybe we'll have her reconsider some stuff. Dimitri, you want to go next? Anacostia has just done the unthinkable. She released a spree member. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Anacostia is in a space of rebellion a little bit, not in a a, a insidious or bad way, just she's no longer following the strict and narrow that she's been accustomed to. She's drifted a bit from her mother figure, which is General Alder. She's drifted away from the mentalities of the military. She's actually starting to look at Scylla as if she looked at what she could have been if she wasn't brought up the way that she was. So, you know, um, with this new emerging threat and with the threat that is in her mind becoming the alder of it all, Anacostia is in a space of limbo. She is trying to figure out her next moves, but she understands that they have to do, they have to be done solo in her intentions. They cannot be based on anybody else's thoughts or movements. She's got to get to the truth of it, and that's where her loyalties lie. What do you think, Lynn? To step in with that, because Anacostia is is so important for Alder, I think in season two, we get to see where it all starts to fall apart for Alder. First of all, Anacostia leaving her, going rogue, um, not being there by her side is, 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 is a first. I think Anacostia is one of the only ones that she trusts fully. So for that to happen is quite an eye opener. And it's not only that, but everybody's starting or seems to start to be questioning Alder and her motives. And the ancient enemy that she was convinced that was gone from this world is back. So she's, she's almost forced to look at herself and ask herself the same questions that other people are asking around her. Absolutely. Now, Amalia, you and I actually touched on this last season a little bit, but I wanted to bring Dimitri in on this as well, because one of my favorite things about last season was that dynamic between Anacostia and Scylla, because I thought it was really interesting. And is that something that we could see maybe expand this season a little bit? And do you feel like they kind of understand each other a little bit better at this point? I, I think there's an understanding that also comes with the rejection of that understanding. They don't want to be as alike as they may be and that they discovered at the end of season one. You know, they're supposed to be opposites and one has chosen the military way and one has chosen the rebellion way, the outcast way. And you don't want to see yourself in your enemy. You know, you want to, you want them to be someone separate that you don't have to empathize with. And so once they started to see that, things got a lot more complicated. And after what Anacostia did for Scylla, there's definitely something left unspoken. Like the, there's something they had to to talk about and see what was that. And during season two, there's definitely gonna be one way or another that they can solve it. Or maybe they just make it more complicated. I don't know, what do you think, Dimitra? <laughs> what do you think, Anacostia? <laughs> I think you hit it right on the 
Ed, but I also want to add the element of, you know, the military has never had a respect for the spree. The spree has never had a respect for the military. And like she said, seeing yourself in your enemy and understanding that it's really not that far-fetched. We're literally walking two sides of a line. And once you do that, once you understand that this is still a human being, this is still an intention, a little bit misled in its movement, but an intention that is very mimicking of your own, there can be a respect. And I think that what we start to see in this season two with Anacostia and Scylla is the respect. We may not always agree, ha <laughs> we respect each other. And that's it, it's, it's, it's holding up a mirror, right? I mean, and I think all characters are starting to do that and getting to explore themselves by becoming the mirror and, and being mirrored. Absolutely. And before I let you all go, in the trailer, it looks like there's a real effort to bring the army and the spree together to fight against the Camarilla. Now, that seems like a no-brainer to you and I probably, but under the circumstances, what makes that such a difficult decision to make? Is it optics? Is it lack of trust? Or is it kind of a good big pile of everything? It's a big mod podge of all of it. The thing that we have been fighting so out loud, robustly, has been the spree. And so now to keep the optics to where they need to be for the, the humans, quote unquote, to be comfortable, we can't do this out loud. We can't let them know that we are facing the same threat. And at the same time, the enemy of our enemy has made us friends or at least have to try to figure out alliances. So I think it's it's <laughs> it's we've been fighting them, but we need them. It's we're all in this together, but we're divided. It's a bunch of different dynamics that really have to come under one tent somehow. And it's a, I think it's a beautiful reflection on what's going on in the world right now, you know, trying to deal with that divide, that constant division instead of coming together as a collective. So I think it's, it's a beautiful reflection to what's going on in our world as well. And therefore, it's necessary to tell the story. Yeah. And what do you what do you realize about yourself and about the other when you're forced to collaborate is also, you know, an eternal human question. And that's going to be really interesting to find out. Motherland Fort Salem season two premieres Tuesday, June 22nd on Freeform. I can't wait. I know the Ryla fans can't wait because we got to figure out what's going on there too. It's Demetria McKinney, Lynn Renee, and Amalia Holm. Thank you so much, ladies, for joining me today. I appreciate it. Thank you for keeping it down and dirty. Yes. <laughs> Oh, I love that there are so many twists and turns and angles that need to be played ahead. And I mean, that we haven't we didn't even talk about, you know, what's going on with Rael and Abigail and what her story is now, the sacrifice that Tally made at the end of last season. There's just there's so much to unpack here for Motherland Fort Salem. Season two begins on Tuesday, June the 22nd. Do not miss this. Make sure you're watching it on Freeform also next day on Hulu as well. Again, thanks to Amalia Holm, Demetri McKinney, and Lynn Renee for joining me this week. Up next, time to have another conversation. This time, we'll head to Netflix to talk about Sweet Tooth with Aliza Villani. Up next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey, what's up, guys? This is Kevin Alejandro from YouTube. You're listening to Down and Nerdy Podcast. I know you guys have been watching Sweet Tooth on Netflix because it's the number one ranked show on Netflix. So it's pretty obvious that you're watching it. And if you're if you have been watching it, you are very familiar with the Singh family, and I just happen to have one member of that family with us this week. It's Eliza Villani, who plays Ronnie. Eliza, how you doing? Good, good. It's Eliza, by the way. It is Eliza. Okay. Yes. You, you, they give you the pronunciations, and you're like, is this Eliza or Eliza? And I'm terrible with names, so I'll chalk that up in the lost column for myself there. 
<laughs> I'm the exact same way too. Okay, well, Aliza, now that the fans have gotten a chance to see Sweet Tooth a little bit, you're going through social media. What's the re reaction been like for you? It's been very surreal. It's been wonderful to just see how much everyone has loved the show, loved all the characters. It's been such a long time in the making that it's so interesting mm -hmm. to actually see that people have binged the whole thing in one weekend. Uh, so that's been kind of crazy for me. I'm like, wow, you've actually gone through all eight in just a couple of nights, if not one night. That's exactly what I did too, actually. But but I've been looking forward to this for a long, long time too. Now let's let's talk about uh, Ronnie, Addy, Ronnie and Addie for a little bit because they have a very loving, very close relationship even after the Great Crumble too. So what they learn though, and we're gonna be a little bit spoilery here just to let everybody know, when they learn that she has the sick, that's a very emotional moment for the both of them, obviously. So what was that actually like shooting in that scene where they're making that mad dash to the hospital? Because I can only imagine your adrenaline was just way up on that one. Yeah, what's even crazier is we filmed that episode and that kind of revelation in 2019. Mm. So, you know, that at the time just seemed like it was this larger than life moment and we were really diving into these incredibly deep and heartbreaking moments only to find out you know six seven months later that there are people that are genuinely having those feelings and having those fears mm -hmm. so i actually found that it was the aftermath and it was after we filmed that watching it back felt a lot harder than actually filming it just because the emotions were so high and after everything we had been through in the last couple of years it just rang so much truer and deeper to what people had been going through. Yeah, no doubt about that. And what struck me about Ronnie is that, I mean, despite everything that's going on with her, I mean, she's so positive. She's so optimistic. It's, it's, it's very inspirational, actually. What makes her be able to maintain that energy despite these, I mean, really difficult odds against her? I think the best part about their relationship between the Sings is that as much as Adi is taking care of Ronnie. Ronnie is also having to do the same for him. Uh, he's having so much pressure on himself. So really what Ronnie needs to do in that moment is to keep him going in whatever way she can make that possible. And that really is from being kind and loving and trying to see the positive side of things and being his biggest cheerleader because there is no other option. It's two of them against really the world yeah. at that point or the world around them. Yeah, I actually wanted to dive into that a little bit deep, deeper because you're talking about how much pressure he is under, and it, it really is, and it just increases, it seems like, as as the days go on, just trying to find that cure. So I think that the show does a really good job with the balance of like saving his wife, the ethical lines and that he might have to cross. And But talk about a little bit how that affects their relationship on screen because I feel like you can actually see that too. Yeah, there is that constant tension of, a conversation that they can't really fully flesh out because they know that they need to find a cure. They, he wants to save his wife so badly, yet it gets to the point, and again, spoiler alert, it, it gets to the point where they have to make choices that they don't think they can make, but they might have to. So you see that constant tension throughout the season of them really deciding are we going to take that next step? And are we going to be comfortable with the repercussions afterwards? And are we still going to love each other after the repercussions afterwards? Because there is a little bit of sacrifice there that one has to make more than the other. And you need love more than anything if you're going to cross those lines. Uh, so you definitely, we had to 
dive into those conversations and really try and find the best way to have those conversations when we were getting into those scenes and make sure there was always love at some point in the conversation. And you guys nailed that for sure. There's no question about that because there definitely was. Now, your story is obviously, I say separate from Gus's journey, but I mean, it kind of isn't, but you know what I'm saying. I'm sure you're familiar with the story. And of course, you were, you were part of the show and, and on set. So what was your favorite thing about Gus and what Christian actually brought to that character? Because I just love it. He's amazing. Uh, I was amazed at how similar the two are, the character and, and Christian himself. Uh, he is such a light and energetic person. And he's just always trying to have fun, meet people and just keep everything so alive on set. So even if we weren't sharing storylines, you just got to know him because he wanted to get to know everyone and he wanted to make sure that we were all having fun together. I mean, we even had, you know, sour candy wars when he was trying to see who could hold the most amount of sour candies. I love that. And I won, by the way. Oh, yes. <laughs> awesome. Well done. Because I love sour candies. So I will say that he really just made the whole show such a pleasure to be on. Talking to Aliza Villani, who plays, plays Ronnie Singh on Sweet Tooth, which you can stream right now on Netflix. I feel like this is really important, Aliza, because we've all heard the saying that people fear what they don't understand. And I feel like that is a really big part of this sort of story. So how do you feel like the show deals with that issue as a whole? Yeah, I think the interesting thing is that, you know, Jeff Lemire created this, these comics, you know, starting in 2009. And, and it rings so true to where we are now, which mm -hmm. is so interesting. But what I love that Team Downey really wanted to do, and, and so did Jim and Beth, is really create the show with the purpose of healing healing everyone as we've gone through something very traumatic and, and really has changed all of our lives around the world. And this is a show that allows us to acknowledge that and then try to heal in some way, try to connect, try to understand who we are as human beings and the choices that we're making and understand that we are human. And I think that that's what this show does so beautifully is it acknowledges that without trying to really uh you know wag its finger in the process it isn't about that it's about the story it's about the characters and you really get to see it through the eyes of of a child like gus and sweet tooth really do you feel like there's also a lot of real life aspects to this as well because i feel like that that's kind of where you're going with that because i mean you've got you've got the nosy neighbors and that really gets turned up to 11 in a situation like this right you've got the the small pleasures in life so how do, do you feel like this show actually does bring a lot of true life things to light as well it definitely does it's actually quite interesting because i had recently gotten married when i first came onto the show and when all of us started isolating and quarantining i actually found that you know my husband was working from home and we were just in our space in our little place just the two of us and you really start to see how you get to know the person that you're with a hundred percent of the time and you see that also in the town that the things that are in is that you really only end up trusting that one person that you're in that space with and granted i have much better neighbors than you know the things hopefully do. yeah hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> but it was it really just brought to light you know how we start looking at our own communities. And I think the Sings storyline really showcases that is when you do see a group of people really isolate themselves, what is really there? How do we try and find a sense of community to keep moving forward? Yeah, no doubt about that. Now, one thing that really interested me about, about the show is how it really turns back the clock 
on modern society. I mean, Adi rides a horse. You've got people playing charades and cooking everything from scratch, which which almost never happens anymore, it doesn't seem like. So was it kind of strange living in that tech-free type of environment? Or do you feel like it was almost like a breath of fresh air in a certain sense? Definitely the breath of fresh air. It kind of it felt like going to camp. But it was the best kind, too. You found that there were so many creative ways that they tried to show this world, even just in the corner of the Sing's home, just seeing a stack of DVDs yeah, just the roof. And so the attention to those details, you sit there and you go, oh, yeah, if, if the Internet did go down, if all of these things did happen and you just kind of had to go from scratch, what would still be left and what could you actually do? So... I loved that. I felt that it was so true to even when, you know, back in March of 2020, what were we all doing? We were baking bread and we yep. were starting the garden. We were going back to those moments. So, you know, the creators really went back to that and put that in for the things as well, which I love. I'm just impressed that they were able to find that many non-flat screen TVs. I thought that was, I mean, I don't know how they did it. I don't know if they went thrift shopping or something, but they, hey, I was surprised. Must have been an adventure, that's for sure. There you go. No doubt about it. Now, I want to actually go outside of the show for here, here for just a second because, you know, I was looking at some of your past work. You actually got to play the voice of Miss Marvel and Marvel Superhero Adventures. And how much fun was it to play that character? And I just couldn't help but notice you and Iman just happen to have the same last name. So is that a coincidence? Is that like the mother of all coincidences or is there a relation there? What's What's happening? It truly is quite a coincidence. I don't think either one of us actually thought that was in the plan at all. So when when I started playing Miss Marvel uh, for the animation, it was so much fun. And then we we did hear that they were going to, Disney was going to create that show. And when the announcement came that Iman Vellani was going to play Miss Marvel, the amount of messages that I actually got from family asking <laughs> if we were related somehow and if I knew and I had no idea I had so many oh, aunties and uncles just saying okay she related to us somehow do you know is there an inner circle of actors with the last name Villani and I truly had no idea but I'm so excited for her I'm so excited to see the show uh, I'm sure she's just loving every minute of it the degree the, the degrees of things that would have to happen though for that to line up I mean, but but the fact that your family was asking you, I think, is the most hilarious thing ever. Yeah, and she's Canadian, so why not? And I she's mean... Canadian, right? Exactly. <laughs> I don't think she's from Vancouver, at least, though. So they've no, she isn't. So there's, she's there's... From the other side. <laughs> that's where it stops, right there. That's the Vancouver connection, was where it ends. Sticking in the Marvel realm here for just a second, you mentioned the the Downies, Robert and Susan, and they served as executive producers on the series. What kind of a perspective do you feel like they brought? to Jeff Lemire's story and along with Beth and Jim, who are, of course, are no strangers to superhero stories themselves. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, with with Team Downey, they've been working on this project for such a long time, and you can tell that they really, the story really meant a lot to them. They loved what the story represented when they read the comics that Jeff Lemire created, and they wanted to bring this story to light and have it be this family oriented kind of show. And you really saw that they were so involved in the process as well. And we were working on set. We'd also hear that they were looking at the dailies and, you know, what they were feeling about the show. And it was all very positive. So you really felt this collaborative experience from Team Downey, even though, you know, we were in New Zealand and we, we were under different conditions where you couldn't exactly have 
producers come in and out to see how everything was going. So it really was from a very distanced type of collaborative experience, but it was very collaborative and it was so positive. And that just means so much when you're working on a show of this caliber, you want it to be this positive, beautiful experience. And, And you can tell that Jim and Beth and Team Downing made sure that that happened. Yeah, it definitely rang through for sure. Before I let you go, Aliza, obviously fans are already looking forward to a possible second season. We haven't gotten the good news about that as of us talking today. But what would you like to see if the show actually got a chance to return for a second season? Of course, we won't spoil the ending of season one. We won't talk about that. I won't spoil the ending, but I think what would be so great for season two is just explore more of the world. I mean, they already did so much of that, but you could see that there is so much more and so much left to for the characters to explore in different part of the Sweet Tooth universe. So, you know, if season two comes around, there's no doubt in my mind that you'll see a lot more adventure ahead. No doubt about that. And if you haven't finished season one yet, or if you haven't started, get on that. Watch Sweet Tooth right now on Netflix to find out everything that She's got going on. Oh, wait, this way. This, she's got going on and, and everything that's just so wonderful about the show. It's Aliza Volani. Thank you so much for joining me this week. Thank you so much for having me. I had an amazing time. And again, if you haven't started watching Sweet Tooth yet, make sure you're binging it right now on Netflix. All eight episodes available for you. And it is such a heartfelt and amazing story. If you haven't started watching it yet, I think you're really going to love it. Again, thanks so much to Aliza Volani for taking the time. Did you want me to talk about Sweet Tooth this week? Up next, we're going to head to the oceans and talk about Luca, which is now available on Disney+. Plus. My spoiler-free review is next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the role of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God, they will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The Shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. Hi, I'm Court Lane, VP of Animation Development at Marvel, and I'm listening to the Down and Dirty Podcast. Grab a bowl of pasta because it's time to head to the Italian Riviera and it's time for our spoiler-free review of Disney and Pixar's Luca, which you can now stream for free on Disney+. Plus. I'm also going to drop some tidbits from the press conference for Luca that I attended not too long ago. And one of the things that you notice right away about Luca when you're watching it is it's just so steeped in the Italian culture and that is something that was no accident from director Enrico Casarosa who said you know he was born in Genoa and it was a poor town right on the Riviera he was a shy kid he was a little bit sheltered by his family you'll see those themes play out in Luca a lot and he just talks about you know growing up and kind of finding yourself and that's exactly what's happening with Luca and his friend Alberto, because Luca and, and Jacob Tremblay, who plays Luca, talked about this as well. He kind of talks about how, you know, Luca wants to explore, but he has restrictions from his family. He's not supposed to 
even leave like his yard, never mind go up to the surface. And now I should preface this in case you didn't know that Luca is a, he's a sea monster. And when they go on land, the sea monsters become human and vice versa, obviously. So you've also got his friend Alberto who's been living as a human, but actually is a sea monster. No spoilers there. It's in the trailer. Don't worry about it. So, and, but I'll get a little bit more into the plot, plot here in just a second. But it's those differing ideals and differing ways of being brought up that I think is really, really interesting. Because you also talk, you also have Jack Dylan Grazer, who plays Alberto, who talks about how Alberto has no restrictions. He's exactly the opposite of Luca in that in that way, because he can kind of do whatever he wants, explore wherever he wants, and he doesn't have those ties. So you see how the two really kind of, it's almost like an opposites attract sort of thing, right? And you see them develop this amazing friendship and they kind of need each other. And that's the way I felt when I was watching this. I'm like, wow, these two really need each other for different reasons. So you've got Alberto, who's kind of helping Luca come out of his shell a little bit. And you've got Luca, who's helping Alberto learn how, you know, what it's like to, you know, have family and have people that are close to you and actually have somebody who, you know, wants to be around you sort of thing. You find out a little bit more about why Alberto is the way he is as the movie plays out. And, and it actually ends up being a little bit of a tragic story for Alberto, too, actually. So I love the way that the movie digs into that. No spoilers there, of course. But and it's just fun to watch this friendship develop, especially in the early going. In the movie, and you're going to hear the term "silencio Bruno" a lot in this movie, and it's basically a way to. And they talked about this in the press conference as well. It's basically a way to, you know, that little voice in your head that tells you you don't, you shouldn't do something. It's the way to kind of tell us, shh, you know, let's just let's just do it. You know, sometimes you just got to close your eyes, and you got to do it. And that's the other thing that Jack talked about too when he was talking about uh, Alberto. He's like, you know, sometimes he he talks about he how he himself is very impulsive and that sometimes, you know, you go for it and it's the worst decision ever or it's the best decision ever, but, you know, at least you went for it sort of thing, right? And it's, it's amazing to me, though, as much, as much as I was watching Jack and he was talking how much Jack and Alberto are so alike as far as character and, and the person who portrays them. I thought, I thought that that was really, really fun and interesting. He just brings us a lot of energy to the character. So just watching these two and their friendship develop and the fact that you know they're what they what the prize that they have their eye on to I think is also very very interesting because you think you know you you're watching it and I don't want to spoil it for just in case that you haven't seen it anywhere but it's one of those things where you go really that's that's you've been you spent your whole life underwater and this is what you want so there's a sense of that for for somebody like us right but at the same time you're like well you know if you didn't know what something was and you saw something and you thought it was cool, wouldn't you want it sort of thing? So I, I think that that was really, really funny and, and kind of an interesting way to do things as well. And yes, there is a villain in this movie who is a very much a douchebag that I think you're definitely, definitely not going to like for a lot of reasons. And, you know, I talked about Luca being sheltered. And so you've got Maya Rudolph, who plays his mother, Daniela, and Jim Gaffigan, who plays his dad, Lorenzo. And so you think, you know, maybe you wouldn't like the parents, right? You know, because they're sheltering their child and they don't want him to go out 
and explore. Maya Rudolph actually says that when she was talking in the press conference, that's not the case at all. She said she's a very serious mom and she's not messing around. But at the same time that, you know, kind of that means love, right? The fact that she wants to, you know, have a strong tie to her son and keep the family right where they are. That that's that's love for her. But also you've got the flip side of that. Who's Lorenzo. And I love how Jim Gaffigan described his character in the press conference. He said Lorenzo was well-intentioned, but distracted. And that is very much how you will see Lorenzo in this movie. And there's some very interesting thing that things that happen with the parents in this, but it's one of those things where, okay, so, and this has been a theme in Disney Pixar movies, right? You've got the shelter, you've got the, the parent who's sheltering their child, whether it be the parents or parent, and the, the kid wants to go out and explore. It's, it's very Finding Nemo in that regard, right? Except th- this plays out much differently than Finding Nemo 2. I don't want you, I don't want you to get it mixed up that I think these two movies are similar. But you didn't dislike Nemo's dad, right? You, you might not have agreed with him, but you didn't dislike him. And I would say the same thing about about Lorenzo and Daniela in this in this movie and Luca because I don't think you dislike them. You might not you might think that they need to let their son stretches stretches you know fins a little bit or whatever sea monsters have. Yeah, I guess they have they did have fins to a certain degree, but at the same time, you understand why they just want to keep their son close, right? And there's a, there's a hilarious grandma too, by the way, who's voiced by Sandy Martin that I think you're going to really love in this movie too. But that's not the only adult character that I think you're going to love. I'll get to that here in just a second. But just watching, and, and she, Maya Rudolph also said, you know, she also knows her son's going to go out and do this. So and she, as much as she tells him not to, she knows that he's going to do it. And just watching how that plays out is so fun. And then the wrench that gets thrown into this whole friendship is Julia who is the the girl that they meet on the surface and they actually end up kind of teaming up with. And Emma Berman is so excited to be a part of this movie. It's like her first big movie role. And Julia has this, you know, infectious personality, right? She's determined. She's hardworking. She sets her sights on a goal. And that's all she wants to think about. That's what she's going to do, right? So I love this character of Julia, but it also, you know, kind of creates a third wheel type situation with Luca and Alberto. And you see how that plays out throughout the movie as well. And that that is one of the hardest things to watch in this movie, too, because you, you want everybody to get along. Right. And that's not always the case. It's like, you know, just share sort of thing. And, and that's that's one of the things that makes an interesting conflict in this movie. It's not just about you know, good guy versus bad guy in, in air quotes. It's also about interpersonal relationships and how they can affect how the story goes forward as well. So, and then you've got Julia's dad, by the way, who I'm going to start the Massimo fan club. I love this guy. He's like the big scary dad, right? That you wouldn't want to see if you were going to meet your girlfriend's parents for the first time. Big scary dad, you would not want to meet this dude. He's strong and silent though. Doesn't say a whole lot, but you see him also sort of come out of his shell a little bit in this movie. And he plays a key role later on in the movie, a key role. Keep your eyes on Massimo. You are going to love him by the end of this movie if you don't already in the beginning. But it's just, it, to me, his character was so de- it was it was like a deadpan funny type of situation, right, where 
you you didn't think he was going to be a source of humor in the in the movie, and he absolutely was. At least for me, maybe it's just because I enjoy that kind of humor. I don't know, but this movie is fun. It's vibrant. You really get the sense of being in that Italian Riviera type of situation. It makes you want to find a little hovel somewhere in Italy and go spend a few days and just kind of get lost there. And you see how you, you see how the community is so tight knit and come together. Maybe that maybe you know some of the things that that community is focused on is not the greatest when you see when you're watching the movie. But at the same time, you also see how wonderful that can be as well, and and who you can meet along the way. And this is just such a heartfelt movie. The Disney and Pixar does heartfelt so well. The the ending I think is amazing. Make sure you watch the credits when this movie is done because. there's not necessarily credit scenes per se, but there's, there's photographs and then it'll kind of continue the story on for you. And you see the connections that get made even beyond when the credits roll in the movie and see how things evolve too. I think it's really, really cool. So this is one of those things where you're going to want a sequel, right? But at the same time, even if you don't get one, you're seeing how things would have played out in the at least near future. Anyway, so I think that this is just so these characters, I think you can fall in love with so, so easily. I think you're going to you're going to talk to a lot of people that watch this movie that are going to have different favorites, which I think is really, really cool. This is definitely a great movie to watch with the kids and just it's it's a coming of age story that is not cliche. It's a lot of fun. Even it does follow some of the beats of the Disney Pixar formula. But at the same time, it feels like such a fresh story. And there are some new beats to this as well. Make sure you're watching Luca for free on Disney+. Plus. That's going to do it for my spoiler-free review of Luca. Up next, how about we dive into the world of comics? It's what we're reading on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is comic book writer Tom King, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Bagging and boarding or downloading and storing whatever you're reading on, it's time for what we're reading and a couple of great new DC books this week. Well, we'll find out if they're great, actually. Starting off with Supergirl, Woman of Tomorrow, number one of eight from DC Comics. Tom King writing this one, Bilquis Evely on the art. I love that because it's kind of an old world story, they call him Matthias Lopes doing the colors here, Clayton Cowles. On the letters, just maybe some minor spoilers as I'm talking about this since it's been out for a couple days. But the story actually follows a young woman named Ruthie whose father was actually killed by a man. He was just kind of trying to help that an argument. And, you know, that's how that happens sometimes. Now, Ruthie obviously wants revenge. She wants her father's death avenged. Right. So she kind of sets out for that. Now, she that means, you know, interacting with some seedy characters. And Supergirl was kind of just celebrating her birthday, her 21st birthday, by the way. And she saves the girl from this quite chauvinistic douchebag killer for hire guy. Now, Ruthie now wants Kara's help, of course. But, you know, first of all, Kara, you know, has a creed that she lives by and she just kind of wants to go home at the same time. Now, it turns out, though, that that chance encounter that they had might have some pretty dire consequences. And that's kind of all I'll say about what happens in the story. Now, I will say this. It definitely takes some time to pick up, but it rounds out quite nicely as you go towards the end because there's a lot of setup for the new land that they're in and the new characters that we encounter throughout the story. So not a ton of Supergirl in this first issue, but a lot of setup. So it's almost like you got to be patient. You got to peel the onion on this story, right? It also sets up, though, a different mood and tone for Kara, 
which will be quite interesting to see how it plays out. Obviously, you know, we've seen like Moody Kara before, but this is a different kind of mood. This is more of a sullen, depressed type thing going on, and it'll be interesting to see how this kind of unravels throughout the future issues. Now, I do love the art style, though, and it seems to fit quite nicely with the setting that we're in. Also, the lettering really brings that old world vibe out. So between the art and the character designs and the lettering, I think it's really, really sells the setting of this, but I don't think we're going to be staying in the setting that we're in very long based on how this first issue ends. I can tell you that much. So yeah, it did take a little bit to, to get going, but you know, you kind of look at the creative team that you've got and you trust that you're going to get to where you're going to go and it's going to really pick up with each passing issue. So yeah, I'm very interested to keep going with Supergirl woman of tomorrow. I've been looking forward to this book ever since it was announced. So yeah, I am definitely in for this, especially since this seems like it's going to take us outside of the norm of what we usually see from Supergirl stories. How could I not talk about the return of milestone this week and static season one, number one. Hey, look at that. Another book by Vita Ayala this week, crisscross doing the layout Nicholas Draper Ivy on the finishes and the colors for this one and world design on the letters. If you saw that great cover, that's Kari Randolph and Emilio Lopez doing that one. Now, again, maybe minor spoilers here, but this takes us back to the very beginning for Virgil Hawkins and actually gives us a kind of a quick origin story on static, maybe a little bit of a different origin than you might remember. Now, there's also an incident, though. At a protest, and this very much is in the, the very much in the vibe of what's been going on in the world lately. It actually killed some people in the protest, but also ended up giving powers to others. I shouldn't say powers; maybe abilities is the better way to put it. Now, Virgil's actually just trying to deal with the fallout from letting his powers get out of control, and this actually happened at school too. So, some people might have seen what happened, and you got to deal with what's going on there. Now, you know, standing up to a bully, bully is a good thing, right? But it could also have big consequences in this particular instance, and especially with something that happens towards the end of this issue. And I mean, I've said this before, being a teenager is hard enough, but then you're going through these changes and it, it makes things even more difficult. Now, one of the things I really loved about this story, though, was the realism to it. It just felt real. It felt like something that, I, I, this, this teenage boy's actually going through. It didn't seem like you're looking at Virgil Hawkins, the future superhero. It seemed like you're looking at Virgil Hawkins, the teenager who really is trying to figure out what to do with his life and, and, and you know, just the things the teenager should have to deal with and what his future's going to be, and this is now thrust upon him. One thing I really love, though, is how the family is working through what's going on with him. It's really a refreshing change of pace from what you usually see. And you've got, you know, mom and dad, you've got the sister going on there as well, or I should say the parental figures and the sister as well. I just really love how this is dealt with. And I, I won't spoil any of that, but it was just so nice to see how this was. There's a point where they're kind of talking things out at the dinner table. And it's like, you know what? I wish that comics would do this more. So I thought that was a really smart choice by Vita and the team. The art also happens to be fantastic. By the way, I love that there's a slight blur to kind of enhance the motion of the action. And let me tell you, especially in the final few pages, the colors are just out of this world good. So, yeah, if the, it was definitely worth the wait for the return of Milestone as far as I'm concerned. And this is a static story 
that I think is going to really rank up there when it's all said and done. So I really, really hope that you'll give this one a chance. Static Season 1, number one from Milestone and DC Comics. That's going to do it for what we're reading. Up next, time to tackle the latest nerd news. I'm James Witham, and this is the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hi, this is Melissa Ruffford from Manifest, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy. Could Montego Air be grounded, or will it fly once again? It's time for nerd news. And that's right, Flight 828 appears to be down again for now because NBC has canceled Manifest after three seasons. Now, let's dive into this a little deeper here because Jeff Rake, who is the creator of the show and executive producer, he went to Twitter and he posted his, of course, displeasure with the cancellation. I want to read the statement for you just in case you haven't seen it. It says, My dear manifestors, I'm devastated by NBC's decision to cancel us. That we've been shut down in the middle is a gut punch, to say the least. Hoping to find a new home. You, the fans, deserve an ending to your story. Thanks for the love shown to me, cast, and crew. Hashtag save manifest. And as a fan of manifest myself, and I'm not going to spoil what happened at the end of season three, because I think that just, that would just be a dick move on my part in case you haven't seen it yet. So I'm not going to do that. But I will say this. He's absolutely right. But this is not the first time that this has happened to a series, right? And, and this is not exclusive to NBC either, you know, to give them a little bit of a break. This is a problem with networks across the board. And, you know, you, you see the arguments all the time, right? Well, people say, oh, I love this show. I can't believe they're canceling it. And some idiot always comments online and says, well, apparently not enough people loved it because otherwise, why would they cancel it? And on one hand, that's a fair argument. But on the other hand, there are certain movements that sort of pick up steam, right? I mean, it seems like once once shows like Lucifer started to get saved, all of a sudden there was a hashtag save every show that got canceled, right? And you can tell right away, some of them are going to have legs and some of them aren't. This one has legs just like Lucifer did and a couple of other series that have been canceled over the years and then brought back. This one really, to me, seems to have some legs because it, it not only is it still trending, but you've also got Manifest, which hit Netflix the same week that it ended up getting canceled by NBC and before the cancellation. This is before. This is a very key point to this whole, to this whole thing. Before Manifest was canceled, it was number one top t- on Netflix's top 10 list. You can understand how that might happen after the fact for fans that want to save the show, right? You know, you binge it a little bit for a week, get the numbers up, and get somebody interested in saving the show. No, 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 no. This, is ha- this happened before the announcement of the cancellation. That is a key point. So that should tell you that there is definitely... Plenty of interest in this show and in this story. By the way, it's the first two two seasons that are on Netflix, by the way. That should tell you something right there, okay? So here's the other, here's the other thing. Look at it this way. Warner Media is the, is the one that on Warner Brothers Television owns the rights to Manifest. They're the production company behind Manifest. So now, since they are shopping the show, there are some options here. You could certainly see if Netflix is interested, right? Or, again... You get HBO Max sitting right there. It's your own streaming service. If you believe in this show, you could pick it, meaning Warner Brothers, if you believe in the show, you pick it up yourself, put it on HBO Max, and, and you give them some sort of a conclusion to the story. Now, 
if you remember when I talked to Matt Long not too long ago, he said that, you know, Jeff Rake's plan was five seasons. And that seemed about right, you know, given the pace of the way things were going. Now, saving it, does that mean you have to give the show five seasons? Because it never really ran a complete season. As in, you know, you never got 20 plus episodes in a season. Not that I can recall. Anyway, so if you gave it a couple 10 episode seasons or even ex- an extended season, kind of like they're doing with the final season, uh, kind of like what they do with season five of Lucifer, you know, you extend it out to like 16 episodes. So you extend a whole fourth season to about 16 episodes, maybe 18. And could Jeff Rake and the fans get a chance to tell the end of that story? I think that that's generous enough no matter who decides to save this. But I think those are your two options right now. I think you got Netflix. I think you got HBO Max. I don't see this going on. Another network doesn't make sense. I don't see them going back to NBC Universal and saying, hey, can we put the show on sci-fi? I don't think that'll happen. I think that that relationship is pretty much done with. And again, this is the second sci-fi series that NBC's canceled in the last month because debris bit the dust not too long ago, too. So... Again, I'm holding out hope for the Save Manifest campaign. I hope it works out. I would definitely want a conclusion to this story. And I think that there's reason to be optimistic about this one. But I I don't think we're going to get any good news anytime soon. So maybe sometime around next month, Comic-Con at home, maybe we'll get some of that good news. Let's jump into some trailer talk now. We finally know when the third season of Titans is going to be hitting HBO Max. Speaking of HBO Max, that series is going to begin Thursday August the 12th with its third season. And yes, it's going to be a weekly release. Don't bitch and moan about it. It's going to be fine. You'll be watching weekly episodes until October the 21st. Now, this is kind of just a teaser trailer that we get. But there's a line in this trailer that really I thought was amazing. And we know that season three of Titans is going to be taking place in Gotham. And it's Dick Grayson who says, this is Gotham. People die here. People like that, people like us. And this is amongst a montage of superheroes. That line just grabs you, doesn't it? Because that is so true about the city of Gotham. It doesn't matter if you wear hero, if you're a hero, if you have powers or not. In Gotham, you could die. And that that's really setting things up for this third season and saying that, you know, hey, you thought things were dangerous for us before? We're in Gotham now. So yeah. Keep that in mind. So the one star of this teaser trailer, which was about a minute long, has got to be Red Hood. Had to be Red Hood. Now, I know we saw the first look photo, but I'm one of those people that says first look photos and first look in a trailer or first look like when you actually see them for the first time in the show. Completely different. 100% different. Yes, the first look photo looked good. Looks just as good, if not better, when you set it into motion. In the trailer, I got to be honest. I think that this is a great look for Red Hood. And we get to see Amusement Mile, too, by the way. Did we get to see the Joker, didn't we? I don't know. I mean, to the degree that we saw Batman in Titans, that when, when we had that, you know, shaded, you know, kind of Batman in the background, we didn't actually get Batman. We just kind of got the silhouette. So, yeah, I, so technically we had Batman in Titans before Batman showed up in season two. But it was kind of like that. So, yeah, we kind of saw the Joker in this trailer. We also saw those first look photos of Scarecrow that were that were put out by Entertainment Weekly. I mean, it looks good. I mean, I, I think that Titans is one of those underrated shows that probably doesn't get talked about enough. 
And I think one of the reasons for that was lack of exposure. And I think that now that the show is on HBO Max, people are starting to find out they're going through the first couple seasons. And they go, oh, this is a damn good show. And now I think this third season, which I think they already planned to kick it up a notch anyway, I think this third season's really going to put Titans over the top. So I'm really looking forward to the premiere on October, I mean, excuse me, August the 12th on HBO Max. Staying in the DC realm now, we've got DC Stargirl, which teased a lot of changes coming up in season two. And its first trailer, by the way, Stargirl going to be going to be coming back on August the 10th. That is a Tuesday. So big week for DC TV that week in August. Now, what we see in this trailer is Courtney having a hard time across the board, right? So she's trying to decide, she's trying to figure out how to balance, you know, life and being a hero, which, you know, she kind of did a little bit beforehand, but she's also now struggling once again to keep the JSA together because, you know, we, we see them say, hey, you know, the threat is over. The ISA is gone. Everybody's either dead or in jail. What's the problem? We're done. And Courtney's like, no, 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 no. We're heroes. We're not done. This is not how it works. And it, you're seeing that push and pull a little bit. Obviously, you know, you and I know that they're not done because we know that there's going to be there's more threats on the horizon. But at the same time, you know, you, you can also understand it from these teenagers perspectives who think that they've saved the world or at least their town. And now they want to, you know, kind of get back to normal. Maybe they weren't they weren't the chosen ones necessarily. Well, you could make an argument for our man, but you, you see what I'm saying, right? But then we also see Courtney have a little bit of a run-in with Alan Scott's daughter. Yes, that's right. The Green Lantern's daughter, Jade, debuts in this trailer as well. And it turns out they're not getting along so well in the beginning of things. Now, I think that they eventually will, obviously. And I think, you know, having a, a lantern on your side will certainly be an asset when you're taking on Shade and you're taking on Eclipso and Shiv and the gang. And, yeah, I think that there's definitely going to be a need for a Green Lantern this season. And we get to see a little bit more of sh the, the Shade in this trailer as well. So I, I do, I don't think the ISA has gone completely, but I think that the ISA as we knew it in season one is certainly gone and how things play out in the second season. My, my thing is how quick do they get to the point of the fact that the threat is still there? I think that's going to be a key this season. I think you do have to take the time to struggle with the whole, you know, what do you want to be Courtney? Do you want to be a teenager or do you want to be a superhero? Because you can't be both. And what I thought was really interesting was, is that we saw the return of Sylvester Pemberton at the end of last season, or at least who we think is Sylvester. They don't focus on that in this trailer like at all. And I think that that's very, very interesting. So is that going to be like an underlying theme? Are they going to save that for a little bit further down the line in the second season? I'm very curious to see what they do with that as well. But I mean, I, you know that I was a huge fan of star girl last season. So I'm really looking forward to seeing how they pick things up and carry this season coming up. Finally, another new prequel series coming to Disney plus. And this one, if you're a beauty and the beast fan, you're going to love it because a limited musical series is now on tap for Disney plus and is going to be a prequel for the live action beauty and the beast. Although the story in general, really? And guess what? That's right. It's going to be centered around Gaston. So Luke Evans is going to be coming back to play Gaston. Josh Gad also going to return to play LeFou. And then we have LeFou's stepsister, who's going to be played by Brianna Taylor. Tilly going to be joining along as well. This is actually going to follow, you know, like how Gaston and LeFou became friends and partners in the first place. Some of the mysteries that are going on 
in the kingdom that they're in. Also, how the beast becomes the beast is apparently going to be a part of this prequel, prequel as well. But it's going to be, it's kind of tapped as an unexpected journey filled with romance, comedy, and adventure. That's kind of part of the synopsis. And man, did they get some heavy hitters to work on this. If you know music at all, or you know just musical performances at all, you know who Alan Menken is. And he's going to be a producer and a composer on this. You've also got Tony Award nomination nominated Leslie Tommy. You've also got Edward Kitsis is going to be involved as showrunner with Adam Horowitz. Josh Gad going to be an executive producer on this as well. So, yeah, you, you expect Disney to pull out all the stops anyway. But clearly, this is something that they want to highlight. And you know how big of a deal Beauty and the Beast is. And the fans are hugely going to be interested in this. Plus, if you're, just in, if you're just interested in musicals in general, you're going to be happy about this as well. But I do think that if anybody could tell the prequel story right and do it justice, it's Disney. And I love that they're doing it in this format and not trying to do it as a movie. And clearly, Disney Plus wants to hype up original series. I think Disney's realized, not just with the Marvel stuff, but with some of the other stuff that they've done, that this is not something that they've been doing enough, and now they're trying to catch up a little bit. And hey, that just only benefits us. The only bummer is, is it's not going to start production until spring of 2022. So yeah, going to be a while before we get this one. But a lot of exciting things ahead, and that's what matters the most. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Again, thanks to my amazing guests this week. Amalia Holm, Demetri McKinney, Lynn Renee talking to me about Motherland Fort Salem. Also, Eliza Villani talking about Sweet Tooth. It's, I mean, there's just so much stuff right now that's amazing that you should be watching. So make sure you're getting on all that. Also, make sure you're following us on social media at Down and Nerdy 757 on Twitter and Instagram at Down and Nerdy on Facebook and online all the time. Down and Nerdy Podcast dot com. Remember. You never have to apologize for being a nerd, so let your fan flag fly. Be good to your fellow nerds, and yes, Batman would. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.